but we are in um, week uh, six of our series, Made for More. And here's why it's titled Made for More. Um, Sometimes I think we miss, I think we miss the beauty of what Jesus has called us to because we get caught up in the mundane routines of life. And I think we just sort of miss, it's possible for us to miss all that God wants for us. And not only that, but we have kind of created in our heads and our culture has helped create that, this idea of church and what we think about church. And so Paul in this letter to Ephesians, here's what he's doing. He takes the first half of the letter to go, hey, here is the gospel. This is the good news that sinners can be reconciled to a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So he takes the first half of the book and he explains the gospel. And then the last half of the book, which is what we're kind of into now, is the implications of the gospel that because of what Jesus came to do, there is something that we, are, that we should be doing in light of that. And that's where we're at. And I'm not going to go unpack all the previous five weeks. If you want to go back and listen to those, you can. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to begin uh, our, our message today with just sort of... Um, something that I think we can all relate to. Uh, first is this, would you guys um, help me honor my wife, not, not me, my wife has put up with me tomorrow 25 years. I mean, is that amazing or what? Yeah, amen. <laughs> and so uh, just, just keep praying for her, you keep praying for her because she's able to endure uh, the hardships of living with me. Um, so here's the thing though. So tomorrow we celebrate 25 years of marriage and, uh, we have been planning for a while. When you get to these, uh, big 25 year, these big milestone moments in your marriage, you start thinking of like, Hey, what are some things that we could do? I mean, like the beach is fun, but I don't know if the beach is, you know, actually going to cut it. And so we, we've actually been talking for a while about what is a dream vacation that we would like to take and so a couple of weeks ago, we, we finally pulled the trigger. Um, we decided that we were going to go to Italy. And so we're going to be going to Italy in November. And I love Italian food, so this should work out great, right? Like, and so, uh, we, you know, she's the trip planner, right? But before we bought the trip, we did this thing. And I don't know if you guys do this. How many of you guys like get on, um, whether it's, I don't know, Expedia or TripAdvisor or any of those other things? Do y'all get on and before you book a hotel, do you go and look? at the reviews of the hotel. Does anybody else do that? Is that just me? Okay, you guys are with me, all right. Um, one of the things that, the reasons we do that is, you know, when, we, when we're going to look, we wanna make sure that when we book trips, we aren't, for me anyway, I'm not just looking for the best deal because you can go get the cheapest price, but the cheapest price isn't always the best deal, right? Amen? I mean, because you can end up in some roach motels. I mean, it is, <laughs> the roaches check in, but they don't check out, if y'all remember that commercial. And so, um, you know, I, I don't always go looking for the best deal, but what I consider the so best deal for me isn't just price. Best deal for me is trying to find that happy medium where like good price meets quality service. That's what I'm looking for. So as we're looking through these trips, this is what I'm, I'm checking out. So I'm reading people's reviews. Now, what makes the process so lengthy is, is just that, right? When you're going, especially on a trip like this where you're gonna spend a decent amount of money on a, on a flight and a hotel and all that stuff, I'm looking at all these reviews because I wanna make sure when we get to a foreign country that we're gonna be in something that you know, is gonna be okay and, and we're, not gonna, we're, we're not gonna have a poor night's sleep and be tired and not wanna go tour and see all the sights. And so we, you, know, I, I, you, you just start reading the reviews, but it's the reviews that actually help us make the best decisions. So you gotta go through the process. You gotta read all the reviews. Now, when looking at hotels, there are certain ones that I usually just skip. So um, if, uh, 
if there's only, if there's a hotel and you look up at the top and there's the stars next to it and it just says three reviews, I'm skipping that one because those three could be the owner of the hotel and his two kids, right? Like I'm not, and they're going to be biased. So I'm not, I'm just skipping that one. The other ones that I skip are the hotels that have several hundred reviews. And out of all those several hundred reviews, there's one star. I'm not going to that one, right? I'm just, just going to avoid that one. And then the, the third type that I usually skip are the ones with several hundred or thousands, um, you know, that you start reading some of the language of some things that people put in there. And, you know, if they, if they say, well, we couldn't sleep at night, we, the hotel was nice and it was great, but, you know, trains kept going by in the middle of the night and people kept talking and it was loud, like I'm skipping those. But there's the ones that have several hundred or thousands that have four stars. Those are the ones that I'm usually going to take some time and I'm going to check those out. Um, now, I don't know if you're like me, but if, the minute I read something that says, you know, it was okay, it was nice, but the rooms weren't clean or the beds like weren't, you know, like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not jumping in a bed and sleeping in a room where there's just a big mess when we show up. So we all do this, right? And, it, and it's not just in the areas of hotels. I mean, we live in the world of online shopping. How many of you guys do reviews of all the products that you buy on Amazon, right? You read them because you look and you go, okay, this looks like what I want, but I wonder if it, the quality of it's going to be good. So we, we read reviews to see if the quality is good. And we do this with all kinds of things. We want to know that the thing that we're buying is worth the money that we're spending. That's what we want to know. And so then after we make our purchase, you, you know what happens, right? You know how this works. You make your purchase and immediately Amazon or whoever you buy from sends you an email and says, hey, would you rate your purchase. They want you to do a review of the thing that you bought, especially after you get it. Once it's arrived, that email comes and they want you to do a review of what you bought so that other people like you and me, when they go shop, they can look and see that the thing that they're going to buy is actually worth what they're going to pay for it. And so here's what I want to do today. The reason I mention all this and bring all this up is I'm going to ask you to do a review this morning. Everybody good with that? Okay. There's like two of you. It's fantastic. It's probably about the same number of, you guys are the same ones that don't fill out the reviews after you get your Amazon order. I want us to do a review this morning and I don't want you to review our church. You can, if you like, we love your feedback. I don't want you to, re, I don't want you to review our service this morning, though you could. We, we again, love your feedback. I think the, the worship team did an amazing job piecing everything together this morning. You guys sounded, sounded fantastic. The, the, the best sounding choir in, in the area. Man, you guys sounded great this morning. But I'm not asking you to do a review on our church or the service this morning. I want you to do what the review that I want you to do is perhaps the most difficult review you're going to have. And I want you to review you. I want you to review yourself. And here's why reviewing yourself is so difficult. Because do you know who's lied to you more than you? No one. You have lied to you more times and lied about you more times than anyone. I mean, because think about it. I mean, guys, we're, we're, the, we're the worst at it. Like, I mean, we, we look at other people and we go, oh my goodness, they should really fix that. And we look at ourselves and we have the same issues and we go, oh, you know what? I mean, I'm just a flawed person. So when we look at ourselves, we give ourselves a whole lot more slack than we give other people. And so what I want you to do is I want you to be real with yourself this morning and give yourself an honest evaluation of some things that we're going to talk through from the book of Ephesians in chapter three. See, earlier in this series, I pointed out that there were two prayers by the apostle Paul in this book that he prays for the church. In the first prayer that we read earlier, the apostle Paul prayed for enlightenment. He's praying for the church to understand. 
Then in this prayer, he's going to pray for something different. He's going to pray for enablement. Paul is going to pray that in light of, an, of our understanding, he's going to pray that God would do something in us and he, that he would enable us to carry out the mission and do the very thing that he called us and created us to do. So Paul prays that God would provide for the church what it needs in order to do what he created the church to do. So look, look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'll give you the cue points where you're to rate yourself. So go ahead and get your phone out, open your notes, or if you have your bulletin, it's, there's a note section on the back, and you don't have to let people see it. You can fold it in half after you've written on it. But I want, want, there's going to be some points. There's going to be four evaluations, and I want you to write a number, and just like you would do with Amazon, it's going to be a number of one through five. You're going to give yourself a rating, okay? You're going to give yourself a grade. And don't look at other people's paper, all right? Because you know they're going to give themselves a five anyway, so just don't even look, all right? Just pay attention to yours. All right, here we go. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul would say, um, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So let me just kind of stop at 15, I guess, is where I really wanted to stop. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. In light of all that Paul has written up to this point, that because of Christ's incredible sacrifice, there is no longer a separation between God and man, that because of what Jesus has done, and uh, if we place our faith in that, that we become reconciled, sinners like me, sinners like you, we can become reconciled to a holy God because of Christ's sacrifice. And not only that, but what we've noticed Paul talking about all throughout the book of Ephesians up to this point is that there was also like this racial separation, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And, and there was a separation between them. And he says, because of Jesus, there's now no more you know, he has torn down the walls of hostility. There are, there are no more dividing walls between people. So God in Christ has united all people to become one. We are one church. We are the bride of Christ. We are unified in that. And so what um, faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has broken down all this. For, so for us, that means that we are we are to begin right here in Osceola, Georgia. He called us. He gave us a mission, this whole idea of what the church is called to do, right? So he saved you, and then he gave us a mission. The mission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not a pastoral call. That is a Christian call. Every single one of us are called to make disciples. You are a disciple maker. You were called to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So was I. And so our role and our starting point, if you will, for us is right here in Osceola, Georgia, making Christ known in our community through the preaching and the teaching of God's word, leading them to faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, he would say, to obey all that he commanded. In light of all this, Paul says that he bows before the Father in prayer. So he says, in light of all this, here's what I do. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul's writing from prison, and he's not praying for himself. I mean, I'm sure at some point he probably did pray for himself some. But in this letter, he's praying for the church. He's praying for the people. He says, Jesus, in light of all this, I'm coming. I'm bowing my knee so that I may pray to the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. 
So in light of all this, Paul says that he bows before the Father in prayer. So here's review number one. All right, now no looking. I want you to rate yourself on a scale of one to five. How's your prayer life? What do you pray for? We talked about this earlier too. Like when you pray, what do you pray for? But how's your prayer life going? I mean, again, Paul's in prison and he's not praying for himself. He's praying for others. Do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for the community? What do you pray for and how often do you pray? I mean, the Apostle Paul would write to another church in Thessalonica and he would say this, pray without ceasing. That we are to be in a constant state of communication with God. That our communication should never cease. That we should be constantly seeking to hear from Him and that we should constantly be communicating with Him. Prayer matters and what we pray for matters. So question, how is your prayer life on a scale of one to five? Only you can rate that. See, the amount of our prayers and the content of our prayers reveals a couple of things about ourselves. The amount of our prayers and the content of our prayers reveals a couple of things about us and our, our own life. Number one, it reveals how much we really believe that we need God. Like if our prayer life is shallow and we rarely pray, what we're communicating is, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I got it. The second thing that it communicates about us is it reveals to us, so the content of our prayer life, when we pray, reveals to us what's really important to us. So what do you pray about? So on a scale of one to five, how's your prayer life? And as we get into the meat of Paul's prayer, he's going to be praying for four things for the church, okay? Let me give them to you all, and then we'll cover them individually. These four things, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. These four things is uh, the four things that Paul's praying for are really stepping stones to one another. So he's going to pray for one thing, and once you have the one thing, that's going to uh, enable you to get to the next thing. And so here's what he's going to pray for in these next few verses. He prays that the inner man, the soul of who you and I are, that me and you, that deep down inside of us, he's going to pray for inner strength. That's number one which will turn, which will in turn lead to a deeper experience with Christ. This deeper experience will enable us to apprehend or get a hold of God's love, which will result in our being filled unto the, all the fullness of God. So then Paul is praying for these four things, strength, depth, apprehension, and fullness. Strength, depth, apprehension, and fullness. Those are the four things. So verse 16, we're going to see the very first one. Verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory, which is the, the riches of God's glory are endless. They are limitless. And he says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened. There's that word with power. The Greek word for power is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite, the word dynamite from. And he says that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So there's a couple parts that I want to deal with here in this verse. The first thing is he says strength, that you may be, that you and I, that the church may be strengthened with power. One of the things that um, our family, one of the things we, we enjoy doing, and I, I've seen some of you up there as well, is like we enjoy going to the gym together. Like we'll go just about every day, not every day, but just about every day, we'll go to the gym and we'll work out together. 
And one of the things that I really enjoy about it is, number one, the, the conversations that we have. You know, when you're working out, you can't, your kids aren't on a TV, you know, you're not watching stuff. You're, you're actually just paying attention to one another. And there's these great conversations that happen. I love spending time with them and the laughs that we share and getting in better shape. But one of my favorite aspects of working out together is this, that I love watching, particularly my kids, I love seeing them get stronger, right? Like, so they're, they're working out, they're getting stronger, they're getting more athletic. I love seeing them accomplish things that they were not able to accomplish before. Like my um, 19-year-old son, Grant, he's, he's been able to double everything that he could lift just in the matter of about a year and a half. And that's cool for me. Like, I love watching my kids get stronger and, and grow in their ability to lift more. One key component of getting stronger, though, if you've ever worked out in a gym before, one of the things you know if you've lifted weights is one of the key components of it is you sometimes are going to have to lift more than you really think you can lift. Like you've got to challenge yourself. You've got to put your muscles under weights that you haven't been able to lift before if you're going to be able to do things that you've never done before. So when you do that, you don't just go into the gym by yourself and you put your maximum weight on and you crawl under it with no one around you. You have this thing or this person called a spotter. So we spot for each other. We put weight on there. And we, I don't know if I can lift this weight, but let's go for it. And so it's like, all right, whatever you don't have, I've got, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spot you. And so, you know, you get under the weight. And you might be able to do it once, and you might not be able to get it again, but then we, like, push each other. No, you can do it again because I'm going to help get it off of you. Then you can do the negative. You might not be able to push it up, but you can do the negative, and you can get used to handling the weight, and your muscles get put under that tension. And I, I just, it's something that we all understand. And so you need a spotter when you're going to lift heavy things. And when it gets too heavy, that's, again, that's where your spotter comes in. He picks up what you can't lift. Paul's prayer, and he, in his prayer, he prays that we would be strengthened through the power of his Holy Spirit. You know, we sang a song called the Holy Spirit a while ago. The Holy Spirit is this part of the Trinity for us in the Baptist world. It kind of spooks us and freaks us out, right? Like if you're from a charismatic background, you're all good with the Holy Spirit. But in the Baptist world, we didn't grow up and most of us didn't grow up in church talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying here that the Holy Spirit is very important to us. Jesus would say that it's important to us. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said that in Acts 1.8. Now here, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, listen, I'm praying that you would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our ability to be who God has called us to be. Your ability to live the life that God has called you to live is directly related to how much and how connected you are to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And the same is true for me. So much like a spotter, the Holy Spirit comes in because we, because listen, and I've heard, I've heard more people, I've been one of them, I've heard more people say that, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I could teach a class. I don't know if I could work with kids. I don't know if I could, and fill in the blank. I don't know if I can. You probably can't. Apart from the power of the work of the, uh, the Holy Spirit in my life, I wouldn't be standing up here preaching. I don't have that ability on my own. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in you. So what is the Holy Spirit doing in you? Where is he challenging you? Where are you walking away from? What are the things that you're walking away from that God's calling you to? where if you would just simply lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, you would be able to accomplish much more than you even think you're capable of. See, the Holy Spirit is like a spotter to us. We can't. We can't even get the bar off the rack when it comes to the spiritual weight that we have to endure. But Jesus steps in, or Paul's saying here in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who picks it up off you. 
And he's just going, listen, you just, if you'll just put your body into motion, I'll do the work for you. If you'll just make your body available, your life available, it's not about your ability, it's about your availability. If you will just make yourself available, I will do exceedingly abundantly more through you than you can even ask or imagine. And that's what Paul's saying is that church, to the church at Ephesus and to us here in Osceola Baptist Church, centuries later, he is saying that, and he's prayed, he prayed that according, that according to the riches in of his glory, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. And then he says this, the second part, in your inner being. Here's the problem with us Americans. We tend to be more concerned about how people see us. We, can, we tend to be more concerned about our appearance. We tend to be more concerned about our appearance than we are our inner attributes. How often do you honestly look inwardly at yourself. We spend most of our time in front of a mirror going, as long as I look good, I feel good, but is that really true? And, he, and Paul says that I'm praying that you would be strengthened, not in your appearance. I'm not, he's not saying, I, I hope that you all look like a bunch of muscle-bound Christians. He's saying that I'm, I'm praying that you would be strengthened in your inner being. So another aspect of getting stronger physically is, is that you must you must fuel your muscles for growth. You know, if you're, if you're working out, if you're going to the gym and you're lifting all kinds of crazy weights, but you're only taking in a thousand calories a day, you're probably not gonna get stronger. You have to actually take in more calories than what you would normally burn so that as you lift weights and you break them down, the proteins, the extra protein hopefully that you're taking in and the calories that you're taking in can help rebuild the muscles and make your muscles bigger, which enables you to lift more, which enables you to be stronger. And so one of the things about growing stronger physically is that you must fuel the muscles to grow. They need calories, they need protein. And if you don't feed your body sufficiently, you will not be stronger. So spiritually speaking, this means that Feeding the inner man is important. If Paul says that you'd be strengthened in the inner man, how are you feeding your soul? How are you feeding your soul? Are you digesting and feeding on the word of God daily? Are you, how are you praying? Are you worshiping? Worship matters. Worship, worship, even in your car, it's okay. You can go crazy in your car. Turn on your favorite worship music and just go crazy doesn't matter what people think. Worship matters and daily worship matters that you are stirring the affections of your heart for a God that you love. Because if not, then your affections are being stirred for other things in the world. Could be money, could be a job, could be status, it could be whatever. Are you worshiping daily so that your affections for God are being stirred? So it matters that you fuel and feed the inner man so that the inner man can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. So here's your second question on a scale of one to five. How strong are you spiritually? How would you, right now, what would you say currently, how strong are you spiritually? Again, only you can grade yourself. Verse 17, he would go on to say after he says that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, he would go on to say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. We're going to pause there. So the second thing that he's going to talk about is depth. Paul uses three pictures here to convey this idea of spiritual depth in this verse. The first word that he uses is dwell. And I love the word dwell. When you break it down in the Greek, it literally means to settle down. 
It means to settle down and feel at home. You know, there's certain places you go, there's certain places you go that, man, you're just uncomfortable as long as you're there, right? The dentist might be one of those places. Anybody with me on that one? I just hate going to the dentist. I don't ever feel comfortable there. I'm always just tensed up, even in the chair. They're like, relax. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm afraid you're going to hurt me with the dental floss. But there are some places, and, and maybe you've been there before, like maybe you've gone to somebody's home and it's, you, even if it was your first time there, you go and you sat down in that home and for some reason you just felt like you were at home. You felt relaxed, you felt good, you didn't feel nervous or on edge, you just felt at home. And that word dwell, when Paul says that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he is saying that you would allow God to make himself, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would make himself at home. He would settle down there with you. And so Paul is praying for a deeper experience between Christ and his people. He yearns for Christ to settle down and fill at home in the hearts of the church, in the hearts of me and you. Not a surface relationship, but an ever-deepening one. That daily our relationship with one another is growing deeper. I told you earlier that my wife and I have been married for 25 years. Our relationship now is deeper than it was the day that we met. Why? Because there is the pursuit of each other, that we pursued each other through relationship. And as we got to know each other more and more and more, our relationship became deeper. Abraham, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, Abraham's life would be a perfect illustration of what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here. See, God was going to bless Abraham with a son. And so the Lord came down and he visited with Abraham in a tent. The Lord himself with, and with two other angels visited with Abraham in the tent. The Lord felt at home and he settled down in that tent with Abraham. There's another person that was related to Abraham in the Old Testament. His name was Lot. And when it was time to visit Lot, Lot was sitting on the edge of Las Vegas Old Testament. Lot camped out as close to danger, as close to chaos as he could possibly get. And the two angels did go to visit him, but you know, and the scriptures don't tell us that the Lord went to visit. And the reason is because maybe the Lord just simply didn't feel at home and wasn't willing to settle down where Lot was residing. Paul then uses another word. He goes on to say this. He says that, um, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So he says, rooted and grounded. The deeper the roots, the more stable and the better nourished the tree is or the plant is. So here's the third question. This is your third review question. What's the current depth of your relationship with Jesus? Paul says that you, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why? Because your heart is rooted and grounded in love. It is rooted and grounded in love. What is the depth of your relationship with Jesus? Is your relationship very shallow? Do you rarely pray? Do you rarely study the word? Do you rarely worship? Jesus would say that if that's you, if you would say right now that your faith is a shallow faith, and how do you know it? Well, what do you mean by shallow faith? Like how much I know? No, 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 no. It's not how much you know. It's how much you're doing with what you know. You want a deeper faith. The only way you're ever going to have a deeper faith than what you have right now is to actually live out the word that Jesus has given us. You cannot have a deeper faith just in knowledge. 
We saw that through the Pharisees of the, of the New Testament. They were constantly, they were, their heads were full of knowledge, but they had no practical faith. And Jesus would say that if that's you, that if you have a shallow faith, then you are in danger of withering. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it said, he's talking about this parable of the sower, and he's talking about these seeds being scattered. And he would say this, he said, some seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of root, he would say that when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. If you're satisfied with a very superficial surface faith where there's no depth in your faith at all, then you are very susceptible to being like that. That your faith will wither. That your faith will crumble under the slightest amount of temptation or the slightest amount of difficulty, that you'll be torn up by the roots. And it, it, it'll be so easy to do because there is no, there's no depth. The trials of life are absolutely going to test the depths of yours and my faith, okay? Verse 18, he says that you uh, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The word comprehend actually would be better translated differently. It would actually be better translated or interpreted as apprehend. The word carries with it the idea of mentally grasping something. While apprehend suggests laying hold of it the word comprehend, let me back up. The word comprehend means mentally grasping at something. The word apprehend means actually physically laying hold of it. And this is what I mean by you don't comprehend the word of God, apprehend it. Comprehending means just I understand it. Apprehending in the context that uh, Paul is talking about here that we, would, um, that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. It means that we are on and grabbing a hold of the faith that we have. That we are grabbing onto the word of God. That we are living it out. That we are fleshing it out. That it's not simply mental assent. That we are not just simply trying to learn as much as we can. Paul's concern is that we lay hold of the vast expanses of God's love. so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's said that um, nature abhors, hates, dislikes vacuums, okay? If you've ever studied physics or you've ever been in science class, nature just hates vacuums. This explains why air or water will automatically flow into an empty place. That it, nature just wants to fill every nook and cranny and every void the divine nature abhors a vacuum as well. God wants us to experience his fullness, the fullness that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This means that our fullness is the Holy Spirit and the measure of our fullness is God himself. So here's review question number four for you. Rate yourself on a scale of one to five. How much of you, how much of me, have I allowed God to have? If, 
if Paul's prayer is that the church, knowing what the church is going to need to do and knowing what the church is going to have to fulfill as far as the Great Commission goes, facing a world that is totally set against it because of the enemy of the world, knowing that we're going to have to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. If we're going to do that, Paul knows that we need to be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's a question, and be careful where your mind goes with this. What are you full of? And don't look at the person next to you and offer up an explanation, okay? What are you full of? What have you spent the past week filling yourself with? The world? I mean, what, have you, what have you spent the majority of your time taking in? Through your eyes, through your ears, through your experiences, through your senses? What have you been taking in? How much of your time this week, what percentage of your time this week would you say that I have been in tune with God, that he has been revealing himself to me? So how much of me, how much of you have you allowed God to have? And maybe a better question, not that you're reviewing yourself on, but one that you need to begin to ask yourself is how much of yourself are you allowed, are you going to allow Jesus to have? You gonna allow him to have all your schedule? That's a big question, right? You're going to allow him to have all your schedule. Most of us would probably cringe at that because you know why? I have control problems and so do you. We want to be in control. I'm going to make my schedule. Jesus, when I need your help, I will let you know. That's how we live most of our lives. Are you going to allow him to have all of your priorities? Maybe right now your priorities, you already know. They're already a little out of whack. They're not aligned the way they should be. And you know it. And I know it. Are we going to allow him to have all of our priorities? Are we going to allow him to have all of our decisions? Jesus, whatever decision you want me to make here, it's yours. Even if it makes me extremely uncomfortable. And are you going to allow him to have all your money? I don't mean you like put it all on the offering plate, you know, when it passes by. What I mean is, is yeah, we give 10%. That's our we, we give our tithe. That's what it means. A tenth of what God gives us, we give to him uh, in order to further the kingdom mission. But he owns the other 90% too. Are we allowing God to have all of our money, all of our schedules, all of our priorities, all of our decisions? So how'd you do? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud, obviously. But if you take all those four and you average them out, what'd you come up with? If you take those four and you total them up and then you average them out, divide them by four, what'd you come up with? And, and here's, here's what I want you to know and I want you to hear from me because I love you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing to the church of Laodicea and he, he says, listen, I would rather that you would be hot or cold. I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be on fire for Jesus in your faith or I would rather you have no no, no appearance of having faith at all. Because then it's easy. It's really easy in those moments for you to know where you stand with Jesus. If I'm really hot for him, it's like, I, I absolutely know. His spirit has confirmed in my spirit that I'm a child of God and I absolutely know where I'm going and I know whose I am and I know who I'm living for. Or if, I'm, if I have no appearance of faith at all, it's really easy for me to bump up against the word of God and go, that is absolutely not me and I need to express my faith in Jesus and be saved for the first time in my life. That's easy. But Jesus would say to the church at Laodicea, I would rather that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he says, I spew you out of my mouth. In other words, he said, your lukewarmness makes me sick. 
Now, I don't know where you averaged out, but on a scale of one to five, where does lukewarm sit? Three. And so I pray that if you find yourself in a state of lukewarmness this morning, based on your own evaluation against the word of God, I hope that if you are sitting in lukewarmness, that you would make a decision today to fully give your life over to Jesus and to fully pursue him, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20 and 21, and we're wrapping up. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In verse 20, he says he's able to do far more abundantly. If you're thinking, I don't know if I can give these up. I don't know if I can do any of these things. I don't know if I can live my life in such a way where Jesus is just on full display. I don't know if I can lead that small group. I don't know if I can teach those kids. I don't know if I can change those diapers. I don't know if I can stand up and give my testimony, which maybe I feel like I've been led to do. I don't know if I can do that. He is able. Quit leaning on your own strength. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask and think of some pretty amazing things. And he can do more than that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout not my generation, not your generation, through all generations. Our responsibility as a church is to leave the church in better shape than we found it because there are people who are coming behind us that we don't want this church to die out and its influence to die out 30, 40, 50 years from now. Jesus said he'd build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the church becomes this more beautiful thing. It becomes this magnificent thing. It becomes this more impactful thing in our community when we, followers of Jesus, are filled with the Holy Spirit, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the fullness of God. Then the community sees, the world sees, the world is changed because, as Paul prayed for us, that we would be strengthened spiritually. And that's my prayer for you. I pray that this year, we've, between now and December, I pray that you have the greatest journey with Jesus that you've ever had in your life. That you would look back in December and say, I'm stronger now than I was several months ago. Because I don't know about you, but if I, go to the gym, if I go to the gym and I work out for, if I go to the gym and I work out for an hour a day, every day a week for six years, and I'm no stronger in six years, I should be concerned. And if we go to church and we sit under the teaching of the word of God, and we do this every day for six years, and we're no better off and we're no stronger spiritually, there should be a concern. And my prayer for you is exactly what Paul prayed for you, that we all, and for me, that we all would be strengthened and we would be filled with all the fullness of God.